Good evening and welcome to New York Sports Wrap, a.k.a. the best hour and a half of your entire week, maybe month, maybe year. I'm Justin Walters, the host. Join me today is Mike Silver. No stranger at all. How you doing, Mike? Thanks for having me on. I, it was like a little cameo a couple of weeks ago, and then you're just like a, a guy out of yeah, then a guy out of the bullpen. You guys start going to the lefty a little bit too much, you know? Hey man, you're a high paid reliever. Yeah, and you're gonna right. be soon in the starting rotation. Uh, Once again, you're listening to New York Sports Rap. First and foremost, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. How'd you spend your Mother's Day, Mike? Uh, let's see. So the Celtics romp uh, in uh, the conference finals. I watched Little Mets. A little Mother's Day activity. Uh, very gloomy weekend, though. Not, not. Doesn't feel like every time I think it's gonna feel like spring and summer, like we had a couple of weeks ago. You have a weekend like this, which just you can't get into it. It's almost like you want to stay home and watch Netflix and and eat and get stay out of the the, the cold weather out there. I don't so. know who spring is, but clearly this person has not shown up to no. us. Not at all. Spring is nowhere to be found, as you mentioned. The Celtics romp the Cavaliers. We will get into that later after the 9 o'clock hour. Game one to the Celtics, not even close by the score of 108 to 83. We'll get into the New York Mets, who also fell today their ninth loss in 11 games. Rich Catino, who is the main host of this show, he's in the city of brotherly love, who is not showing any love to the Amazings at least at the moment. But first, we're going to start off with the New York Yankees. 40 games into the season, they are tied for first place, the best record in baseball. An amazing stretch. Before we delve into the current series that they have with the athletics, what impressed you with the past series that they had against their arch nemesis, Boston Red Sox? Because it felt like an October series. This is just May, a mundane walk in the park, but... The Bronx was rocking. Yeah, it was the comebacks, I think. And I heard Bill Simmons on WFAN even talk about how you don't get crazy in May about your team. You know, even we'll talk about the Mets later. I don't think you get crazy, but you got to be a little concerned if you're the Red Sox with that middle relief getting to Kimbrell. And the thing about the Yankees, and this is how you build. I was talking about this last week or the week before. The season's like a bunch of pieces of a puzzle. And each of those pieces say a different thing, but the puzzle turns out to be something maybe a lot different. And for the Yankees, the ability to put a lot of pressure on these teams, no matter how far behind they are, you're, they're never out of it. That brings back a lot of the memories of the 90s teams. Even the teams that did not win in the 2000 and 2010, you never felt, even with a 4-5, or 5, 6 nothing lead, that this was in the bag. And that's a good trait to have. That's a good team-building uh, trait to have, that no matter how far they get behind – they're coming. They're coming after you, and they're going to make this a close game. It felt like no deficit was too large to overcome. The comeback kids, cardiac arrest, time and time again. And what was even more impressive is that it was a different person stepping up every single play. People were having their cold streaks. It'd be Brett Gardner coming out of nowhere, then Neil Walker, who had an amazing series and just weak overall. John Carlo and Didi's been awfully quiet, but that's the thing. Is this monstrous role is that there's no holes in this lineup at all. Yeah, and some guys you have to wonder, you know, they haven't hit. Now you're going to see their other extreme. Now, Didi Gregorius is, is, has made a lot of improvements since coming to the Yankees, but let's face it, he wasn't going to be Barry Bonds. He was hitting at a level where he was Barry Bonds for about a month. Neil Walker is not a guy that's a minor leaguer, and he was hitting like a minor leaguer for the good part of the season. So when you have a team that's going to win, 
you're never going to have everybody in sync one through nine. You're not going to have all five starters in sync. You're not going to have the whole bullpen in sync. But it's the fact that when the big guys, and even like Gary Sanchez, hasn't hit yet, hasn't really hit his stride at all. But when you have other guys step up, now Giancarlo Stanton seems to be getting into the groove, hitting about three thirty three. He was four. He was four for four today, and you see those boos quickly turn into chairs. Yes, <laughs> it, it, it's it's real easy to turn the New York fan around. Look, there's not a lot of negativity here. I mean, the Yankees are playing seven hundred ball. They beat the Red Sox. Um, you know, you have a little bit of, uh, you know, if you talk about concerns, you'd like to see that bullpen get healthy. You'd like to see Tommy Canely get back. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big uh, uh, arm they don't have out there. Outside of Severino, you still worry about the starting rotation. But when you look at the American League, you've got the Yankees, you've got the Red Sox, you've got Houston. Houston. They're going to be in the playoffs. Honestly, it's just it's a Cleveland three- will probably win that division. But yeah. after that, you it's know, a you- four-horse race. You have those yeah. four teams and when you're going to think about who's going to actually come come out, let's go back with the Yankees and the Red Sox. With what you saw, way, way too early prediction. Yes, it is May. We're only one-third of the season complete. Do you think the Yankees can actually end up? Because it's tough. Both of these teams arguably can make a conversation for the two best teams in the AL. Houston, to me, is still going to be number one. But they could at least arguably make a conversation for that. But it's unfortunate their season is going to come down to one game. It's yeah. going to come down to one game. And that's the thing about the Wild. I mean, it happened to the Yankees yeah. last year. Yankees uh, won 91 games. Uh, after that first inning when Severino was knocked out of the box, you're sit- sitting there saying to yourself, well, that there goes that. that and The three... way that whole game against Minnesota turned out right. was so bizarre. And that's the thing. I mean, even for the Mets, even for all these teams, it's about at this point – the baseball season is two seasons. It's about getting to the playoffs, and then it's truly a tournament. I mean, that's what this has really come down to. And for the Yankees, the position they're in, which is an enviable position, is that, yes, you want to win your division, but even if they get into a, let's say they win 100 games, the Red Sox win 101, let's say. They get into that one-game shoot-off, yeah, that's dangerous, but with their bullpen, if their bullpen's healthy, you know, you get enough out of your starter. You got a five-inning game, you got to like their chances in a five-inning short game because those relievers, that's what carried them through October. That was supposed to be the one guaranteed thing heading into this season, a bullpen. They have improved immensely since that. And as you aforementioned with Severino, who's just been lights out, he improved to 6-1 and one today, his ERA at 2.14. Phenomenal. This guy is a clear-cut ace of the team. And also on the back end of that rotation, or more in the middle, the number three guy, CC Sabathia has been impressive. Yeah, had a little bit of a rocky outing against the Red Sox, but he's he's given you a lot more that veteran. All you need is league average in that spot back the rotation. Here's the interesting thing about Severino. Since last year, beginning of last year, he has more games of one run or less than Chris Sale. Wow. And Max Scherzer, I saw that stat today. That's phenomenal. That puts you in, a, in an elite class that anchors the rotation. Because in the past, you were relying on Tanaka to be that anchor. And I really don't think that's who he is. I think Tanaka is a solid three, maybe a two. Um, and again, you get into a short series, you're going to ask your ace to pitch at least two games, maybe three. And then you could build around there. The Yankees are going to need another starter. Um, but it takes a lot of pressure off. You're looking at the Yankees now is about building this team to compete against the Astros, to compete against the Red Sox in a short series. Uh, it's not about merely making the playoffs. I hate to say that before Memorial Day, but it's not. I just don't see I'm going up before. You know, Justin, while I'm preparing for the show, I'm going up and down the American League. I'm like, even if the Yankees, they're going to level out. They're not going to play 700 ball. All of year. course. They'll play 600 ball, 615 maybe. 
who else is going to play at that level? Toronto? Probably not. Minnesota? No. no. It's a, it's a LA, two- you know, okay, yeah. maybe with Otani. That's been a really a story that's been big, but because it's on the West Coast, it gets forgotten about. Now Cano's out in Seattle for about two months. He mm-hmm. broke his hand today. Uh, no, you can't really. It's tough to tell. Uh, the Diamondbacks are playing some great ball, but they're about to get swept against. Yeah, maybe the Nationals actually are playing much better ball, I should uh, say, and they've had the surgence of um, – and wait until what's uh, the gentleman? Daniel, Mur- Daniel, Daniel Murphy. Yeah. Wait until uh, yeah he gets off of the DL. They're gonna be they're gonna have their own murderers roll to their own right. But it's a two horse race in the AL. And I think what's been more impressive for the Yankees is not just that they went that bizarre streak, the best since 1953 of 17 and one in 18 games. It's the teams that they did it against to do it against the Red Sox, to do it against the Astros, and to be that consistent. Cleveland was in Cleveland there. was also in that mix. It was also it was a phenomenal. They're hurting a lot of teams' bullpens. Yes, you're seeing a lot of teams now look, and this will be interesting because relievers will be in such demand again. Got to be for the Indians. If you're the Red Sox, you're saying, okay, if this is the team I have to face, I'm not going to get eight innings out of my starters. Well, maybe the Astros with Verlander and Cole. But even I think so, there's only a handful. You got to get that bullpen. You know, what, get that how bullpen. many aces outside of Verlander? There's only a handful in the league that can look at this Yankees lineup and not have any type of trepidation. You can, you can maybe optimistically say as an athlete that okay, but you have to look down at that lineup. It's a chess game. Getting through it three times is going to be very, very tough. You could get through it once, maybe the second time. If you're going to get it through the third time, that's when, that's when you're going to have to maybe go to the bullpen. And uh, and and that's where teams are weak. You know, that's one thing. I know we'll talk about the Mets at nine o'clock, but I hold some optimism for the Mets. Is that I think their bullpen's been pretty good. I know Seawold gave a home run today. I think their bullpen's been pretty good. It's getting the starters going, and uh, that's why I think the Yankees will be so tough throughout the the season into the postseason because they don't have Tommy Canely, who I think was a big part of that bullpen last year. And, uh, you know, he's out. And, uh, you know, they're going to need that, that, that arm, that extra arm down there. So when a Chad Green has a, a bad spurt, and David Robinson hasn't been incredible so far. Mm-hmm. But you have to think when the time comes, when the bell rings, these guys, they, they've gotten big outs before they got them last year, that they'll be there. Yeah, no, shortly we're going to get my friend Coley Harvey, who covers the Yankees for ESPN, working hard on his birthday weekend at that. And I'd love to delve in and ask him about Dylan Batances and just – the consistency and can they actually rely on this guy? Because some people think that his time is up. Obviously, he's a New York kid, and other people think that maybe they should hold on to him a little bit longer. It's hard to believe two years ago this guy was demanding closer money. You know, I know that you're going to laugh at this, and I'm looking at his numbers. I know his ERA is over five, but he's got, get this, 16 strikeouts per nine innings. That's amazing. That's huge. His walks are down. He's only walking two per nine. And if you take away, if you just factor in the things that he could control, walks, strikeouts, home runs, hit batsmen, his ERA is 3.44. That's not bad. That's really not bad. Like you really, you have to really look at the things that that bullpen can control, which are the walks, the strikeouts, the home runs. That's where the fielding independent pitcher comes in. Their numbers are not that bad. I mean, Chapman's off the charts over there. Chapman, of course. 17 strikeouts per nine for Chapman, 16 for Batances. I'm not even getting into the rest of those guys who are over 10. That's a I lot think of, it's more a lot of missed bats. That that's a good that's a good bullpen. That's a good bullpen. If you yeah, and that. I think it's sometimes more of the moments that Batanzas has thrusted in. Well, that's a that's different story. That moments, could change. The moments and the those numbers. numbers then change when a big spot. It's like if you can't be trusted in a big spot, then you could strike out a million batters. It's not going to matter when you can't get him in the right situation. 
Correct. So let's uh, bring in Coley. Coley, man, how's everything going? Uh, going okay. How you doing there, Justin? Pretty good, man. Got Mike Silver here with me, co-hosting for New York Sports Rap. We're talking first about Dylan Batances, and I know he tossed a scoreless eighth inning today, but the consistency that the Yankees entrust they can have moving forward with him. What have you saw from him today and just overall in this 40-game stretch that hopefully the team can move forward and maybe using him in key pivotal moments? Uh, well, you know, he, he looked obviously very strong today, uh, uh, you know, in, in that inning of work that he had. But uh, but that, that's the thing is that he only had the inning of work today. And, uh, you know, you look at what's been going on with Batantis lately, it seems as if those games where he's gotten two innings of work, that uh, that they've almost overused him, you could say. Uh, it just seems like uh, uh, he's had some struggles there in that second inning that he's pitched where he's had multiple innings. Uh, appearances. That being said, though, even the other day when he did give up a home run, I believe it was a, a Friday's game when he did give up a home run in his second inning of work. Uh, you know, it was a Yankee Stadium home run. You know, it was just a home run that that had Aaron Judge been playing pretty much anywhere else, uh, probably comes down and catches that ball pretty easily. But instead, it's right there up against the wall where the fans are kind of leaning in, and uh, and uh, you know, ball of course uh, ends up in the stands and ends up as a homer, and so there. That sends up uh, the Tanzas ERA, and there there becomes another issue. But uh, but that being said, you know, oh, to be quite honest, in the, in the last I'd say uh, five appearances or so that he's had, uh, he has looked uh, a lot better uh, than he did early on. Of course, he had that first series of the year there in Toronto where he he you know the main issue was holding runners on, and you had uh, a Pilar uh, kept stealing bases on him. Actually, stole all three bases on him in one sequence, and that was, uh, again, because he just wasn't holding the runner on, and that was kind of an issue that he, he said, hey, I've got to focus on that. It seems like he's done a little bit of a better job of that since then, uh, and it seems as if the rest of his game is, has come along as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think that the trick, though, for now is maybe just stick to just the one inning of work for him, and maybe that's, uh, maybe that's what the Yankees do going forward. They did that today because the way things kind of mm-hmm. matched up, and um, – you know, and they've just got to hope that uh, that Patanzas kind of continues to uh, to work the way he did today. Coley, I, I threw this stat at Justin before, and I saw his eyes pop out. He goes, really? And I was surprised, too. Luis Severino, since the beginning of last year, he has the most games where he's given up one or no runs uh, in mm-hmm. baseball, ahead of Verlander, ahead of Scherzer, ahead of Chris Sale. Uh, I don't know if you saw that stat, but that stood out to me when I saw that today. It tells you a lot about where he's at right now uh, in terms of not only this rotation, he's clearly the ace, but in terms of his elite status as a number one throughout the league. Yeah, that's 21 games between this year and last year that he has uh, started, and he's ended up giving up, like you said, just one run or less, which is one run or none. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's just, it's just really impressive. It's, it's a testament to how he works, uh, how efficient he normally works. Of course, today, not, not as efficient of an outing. He got up to to about, I believe, 58 pitches, 57 pitches there through three innings, and then uh, was up uh, up around uh, close to 90 uh, just before uh, just before the uh, uh, the sixth inning there. So he had a chance to, to possibly go a little bit deeper had he gotten his pitch mm-hmm. down a little bit lower. But that's a credit to the A's, too. The, the A's were doing a great job of fouling pitches off, seeing a lot of pitches, making him work. And, uh, you know, and also his slider wasn't there, so he was throwing his slider for balls a lot today, and that, that kind of affected his efficiency, but uh, the bottom line being that uh, when it comes to getting out, uh, man, you know, he, he does as well a job of doing that as most anybody in the league, and I guess you could arguably say he does it better than just about anybody in the league, uh, just looking at that, that stat of the 21 games, 
And, uh, you know, then it, it, something else that, that you, you kind of have to notice is when uh, Hall of Famers and, and, and past pitchers, you know, not just Yankees, but past pitchers are, are basically looking at Severino and saying, man, this guy has what it takes to be an elite starter going forward. Uh, like Pedro Martinez tweeted that during his last outing. Uh, you know, you, you, you take notice of that. You, you, you certainly sit up to attention uh, when, when those kind of pitchers with that kind of stuff says that, uh, you know, says that this is a, a pitcher that the world needs to be taken notice of. And uh, certainly his, his, his stuff has looked like it uh, so far this season. They've been gaudy numbers and probably one of the underlying stories that you've had through this 28-12 and 12 mark. The past series, it felt more like October. Me and Mike were mentioning that. I know you were in the Bronx. The Yankee Stadium was rocking when they were playing the Red Sox. And every game, it felt like they were the cardiac kids. Comeback after comeback. What has impressed you most in that series or just throughout this stretch that they've caught back up to the Red Sox and they had that 17-1 mark, the best since 1953, and they are where they stand because people forget Pretty much a month ago, a lot of fans were ready to hit the panic button. Like, wow, we're seven and a half games back. We're never going to catch up to the Red Sox. And boom, fast forward today, here we are. Yeah, you know, I mean, the panic button, that's, uh, that, that's indeed something that was uh, what was prevalent back at the very start of the season. I, you know, for me, I, I, I kind of had that feeling like, you know, just kind of sit tight. This thing is, is probably going to work itself out at some point and probably some point sooner rather than later And that some point obviously has happened uh, here within the past uh, i would argue the month this past month and, and really what we've seen is just a, co- a good collective of team play you know it hasn't just been uh it hasn't just been that the starters have been dominant and the rest of the team hasn't it hasn't just been that the uh, the offense has been dominant and the starting pitching has they, they've gotten it all the way around you know they've, they've gotten it all throughout one through nine throughout the order uh you know one of the things that really stands out about this recent stretch is is you know they've had players coming through who haven't been you know they haven't always been the same guy or they haven't always been the player that you expect you know Aaron Judge isn't having to carry the team uh, Giancarlo Stanton isn't having to hit the home runs every game because Miguel Andujar gets a big hit down the line Neil Walker gets a big game winning hit uh, Ronald Torres has had a game winning hit you know they're getting it all throughout their order Glaber Torres of course with a walk walk off home run so. Uh, you know, so that's the one thing that really stands out at you. But even in those games where they're getting that kind of play offensively, the starting pitching has been strong. The bullpen has been strong enough. And, uh, you know, that just shows you that it's a complete team win. And, uh, you know, and, and I think it's certainly going to take some games down the stretch when you get late in the year where, yeah, the offense may have to carry it or the pitching's really going to have to carry it in the postseason. But the more games you can win where, you know, you're getting it throughout your entire 25-man roster – uh, that just goes to show you just how strong this team is and, and how well this team could compete when we get close to the postseason. Another number that impressed me, and look, I, I know Aaron Judge was good. I, I was skeptical as he got around the league with the amount of swings and misses, with the amount of strikeouts that he had. Could he sustain the level of play that he showed at the beginning of last year? But I just saw a stat on Twitter that for the first time since A-Rod in 2007, he's got 35-plus RBIs in 40 games. Uh, he's still striking out, but I feel like he's evolved since the beginning of last year. Even when he was playing well beginning of last year, he was m- striking out a ton. And historically, those players never sustained, think Adam Dunn. And then he had the shoulder issue in the second half. He didn't have a great postseason, but he's come back, and he's almost been better than before. And it's a good lesson for the rest of these Yankees, like Torres, like Andujar, uh 
because they're going to need to make adjustments as they go through the second, third time around the league. And there's a guy that's done it. And, and that's really going to be whether or not this development, these young players, whether they really are there for the long run, it's going to be the second, third time around the league. Judge, checkmark, he's done it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I go back to is in the spring, I, I talked with Aaron uh, at some point during spring, spring training, and he basically said, look, um, you know, I, I want to make sure this season that I'm hunting mistakes, that that's my primary objective at the plate. And, uh, you know, and, and it's it's interesting when you ask him, okay, what exactly is a mistake to you? It's basically just having that kind of discipline to where you're not chasing a, a pitch just to chase or, or being fooled by a pitch being fooled. You're, you're looking specific spots in the zone. You're making sure that you're in pitch counts where you can hit the ball in that zone. And, uh, yeah, when you get that pitch, you, don't, you just don't miss it. And that, that's been his focus. And, and even then, too, he also is even uh, comforted, so to speak, to know that behind him he's got the likes of Stanton and Gregorius and Sanchez and Hicks and, and all these bats who, who can drive him in. He doesn't have to hit the big home run all the time. In fact, I was talking to someone uh, just a couple of days ago about how it seems as if he's not even really trying to hit home runs this year. Last year it seemed like he kind of got to the point where, hey, he, he just has that kind of swing. He's going to go yard often. This year it seems like he's got so much more of a line drive swing. He's keeping that bat just flat through the swing through the swing zone for as long as he can. And he's hitting a lot of long line drive doubles, a lot of long line drive base hits. And, uh, and if he just happens to hit a home run out of it, it just kind of continues to carry because, it, you know, because of the way the, the physics of the ball leaving his bat has, has worked out. Today's home run, or uh, excuse me, the, the home run that uh, – that he hit, or he hit yesterday, that was certainly a, a home run shot. That was a, a very much a home run swing. But it just seems to me that he's really trying to just make contact enough. He's getting on base, getting himself in scoring position, and really just letting the guys behind him do the work. I mean, he does, again, he has 11 home runs, so it's not like he's not hitting home runs. But it just has that, that feeling, at least, of his swing. It just feels like he's just, again, trying to make sure that he's putting the ball in play more than just trying to jack it out of the yard, and that's uh, you know, which is exactly what he was doing last year when he was hitting those 500 foot, 480 foot blasts. You know, we're not seeing the ball go quite that far because again, he's just trying to put it in play and get on. Here's an exhibit of how deep the Yankees are. We've had you on the phone for about 10 minutes now, and we haven't even mentioned John Carlos Stanton's name. That just goes to show you how deep this roster is. Stanton today, four for four. Does he look like he's finally breaking out of? I guess you'd call it a slumpus. Tough to even say that because athletes I know hate hearing that word. But he's had a rocky and everyone wants to see consistency from him. But it looks more and more that he's starting to break loose. Yeah, well, something that I was working on just before coming on with you guys was kind of about his day. And, in fact, uh, kind of a cool nugget from today's game is with Stanton's home run today. The Yankees now have four players with 10 or more home runs uh, through 40 games. And that is... Uh, that's the first time in franchise history they've had four players do that. They've had two players do that before, but not four players uh, at, at this time. In fact, they, even, they haven't even had four players hit 10 or more home runs through 50 games. So, uh, so this, this, uh, this team's already on, on, on uh, quite in some, some uncharted territory, I guess you could say. As far as Stan's concerned, uh, yes and no, it looks like he's breaking out. It certainly does look that way because he's, he's – really hit well of late he's uh you know obviously he's getting on base more he's uh he's getting that big fly every now and then like he did today uh today was a great example of him being able to hit to all fields but the reason why it's like a yes and no is because 
he's really benefited in the past couple of weeks of of playing against some left-handed pitchers. And you know, we've kind of noted uh, before that the the the, the, the pitching the, the left-handed pitching against him is something that he's handled very well. He's done quite well against uh, against lefty starters and lefty relievers. And uh, in fact, right now he's got an OPS of I believe off the top of my head one point one seven one. Uh, against lefties and against righties, it's uh, .622. You know, so a, a very big difference there. He, he's batting something like .470 against uh, uh, against left-handed pitchers, and then like .192 against right-handed pitchers. So that's why I say there's a little bit of a yes and no. In fact, in the past uh, 15 games that he's played, he's faced at least one lefty in 13 of those games. So, so he's getting a lot of benefit from from facing the lefty pitchers right now. And he's certainly taking advantage of that, and that's something that's good. But can he do that against the righties? That's the big question. And I think, uh, you know, I think as we we get going a little further into this year, we'll we'll see if he's handling them better or if he's still struggling. And uh, you know, um, you know that that's kind of going to be the the big test to see if he's really breaking out and really having that uh, that turnaround that we've all kind of been anticipating. Last one from me. You know, Justin and I were talking about how. Regardless, we know the Yankees aren't going to play the 700 clip all year. They'll come back down. But when you look at the American League, the regular season's really going to come down to are they going to be in a division series or are they going to have to play in the, the one-game playoff? And the one Achilles heel that I I'll, guess I'll bring up, put Severino aside, is the starting rotation. And I know it would have been expensive, and I'm not criticizing them for not pulling the trigger on Jarrett Cole because it probably would have cost them Gleyber Torres. But I'm looking at Jarrett Cole's numbers. What he's doing now, 1. early 1.43 already. <laughs> a 16-strikeout game a week ago. Uh, Houston's got a pretty tough 1-2 with Verlander and, and Cole. And don't forget Charlie Morton. All of a sudden, Charlie Morton, journeyman, he's, uh, he's got that bump, that World Series bump that players get. Cole getting a bump going from a middling team to a contender. Uh, the Yankees are going to have to look at this rotation. I know Montgomery might be back in a couple of months. Uh, they got Herman. Uh, there's some, other than Severino, when you get into a five-game series, there is some concern. I know they can score, but when you start playing playoff teams, you don't want to get behind 4 5 6 nothing. You don't want to play that every night. Uh, well, you know, to be honest, they, uh, lately they've, they've gotten the work from their from their starting rotation on the overall. And what I what I mean when I say overall is uh, certainly Severino is is your ace. He's been that all year. Tanaka's had his mm-hmm. had his moments uh, early on. He also has had a couple of disappointing moments. His latest his uh, latest start, uh, he didn't shine uh, very well, and it kind of put pressure on the offense to score. Uh, so he he does have his down moments, but he also uh, was part of that that rotation where. Uh, you know, it just seemed like they couldn't they couldn't be stopped. You know, I think at one point the uh, the pit, the rotation the rotation by itself the ERA was below two. You know, it was part of that big stretch where they went seventeen and one, kind of early on in that probably the you know the first I'd say seventy percent of those games of that particular stretch. Uh, you know, the, the staff was was great. It was dominant. You know, and, and Tanaka was part of that. Severino was part of that. CC Sabathia. At one point, had, he had gone 23 and a third innings. That's four four starts that he had made, and he only gave up one earned run. You know, uh, so so those first three guys have had uh, uh, certainly moments where they have flashed. Of course, Herman in his first uh, start, uh, you know, went six scoreless, had the the no hitter going through six before he came out, and uh, you know, and so he looked good. Of course, he didn't look so hot yesterday uh, in his start. Kind of struggled once he got to the fourth inning or so. Uh, but I just say all that to say they've got the pieces there to have a, a more dominant rotation 
They just have to figure out a way to get everybody consistent, get everybody hot at the same time of year, and that's a lot easier said than done. Of course, the one guy I didn't mention is Sonny Gray. He's had a little bit of an up-and-down year. He has had his moments, too, but uh, they've been a lot fewer and far, a lot fewer and more far between than, um, than some of the other pitchers have been. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think right now if I did have to handicap it, if the Yankees were to make some move close to the trade deadline, it would be to get an arm, to get another arm. Of course, they did that last year, and it, it kind of didn't really work <laughs> as well as I, I think they had hoped then and even now as far as bringing in Sonny Gray. Uh, but if Sonny is able to just, you know, get this dialed in, Maybe it's the you know, maybe it's him having a, a personal catcher. Maybe it's something else. Who knows? But if he can figure out a way to get it dialed in, remember, God is still blessing in this season. Allison is perfect. I mean, she'd never tell you that she's perfect. Allison, wait, are you texting and driving? Texting and driving makes good people look bad. Visit StopTechStopRex.org, brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Download our free WLIE 540 AM app and get all the information you need right on your smartphone. Find our app at WLIE540AM.com or visit the App Store right from your phone. Our way of saying thanks for listening to WLIE 540 AM. You're listening to WLIE 540 AM, Islip, New York, a part of Universal Stations, LLC. The views, opinions, and statements expressed in the following program reflect the views of program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views of WLIE Radio, its management, or its sponsors. For questions and comments, please send us an email at WLIE540AMRadio at AOL.com or visit us at WLIE540AM.com. And we're back. New York Sports Wrap, Justin Walters and Mike Silver on the ones and twos. Happy Mother's Day to everyone out there listening. Hope everyone's having a good day. That was Coley Harvey giving us his insight. We had a hard break (laughs) and cut to commercial. So we were just chatting about the Yankees, and he was mentioning about how the rotation does have some room for improvement. But right now, at 28 and 12, there are no complaints in the Bronx at all. They're going to be off tomorrow, and then they have a two-game series where they'll be playing the Washington Nationals, who are also one of the hottest teams in baseball right now. And speaking of that division, we are going to be chatting about those New York Mets, how times have fallen tough. It seemed like yesterday where they were 11-1, and and now... Yeah, they're not eleven and one. No, they're nineteen and seventeen, and uh, it's interesting because it's been a, a season of streaks for both teams. The Yankees were nine and nine, now they're twenty-seven and twelve. Mets were eleven and one, now they're nineteen and seventeen. Uh, but look, um, you know, this is a team right now that has been a little chaotic. The starting rotation outside of Degrom and Syndergaard, and I really would say they've had one and a half starters because even DeGrom and Syndergaard haven't been perfect throughout the year. Uh, They had the transition with Harvey. Uh, Vargas has been bad. Wheeler's been inconsistent. Matz has been up and down, so they really haven't gotten good starting pitching. Uh, The bullpen, in all hindsight, which I think is pretty good, uh, and this is something that I don't think fans are really giving him credit for, 
with all that chaos, the bullpen has had to be worked quite a bit, and they've stuck around, and they've stuck around in games thanks to the bullpen and thanks to the fact that Mickey Calloway is, is I think, managing the bullpen pretty well and putting guys in roles and, and figuring out ways to navigate like he did today ball games. The reason they're not winning right now, even though the starting pitching has been what I said, this rotation chaotic, and the bullpen's been overworked, is they're not hitting. They're not hitting. And if you're going to sit here on May uh, what's today? May fourteenth th- and May thirteenth. May thirteenth. Yeah, I'm sorry, May thirteenth. We got three more hours. We got three more hours. Don't, don't, don't expedite. Mother's I'm expediting Day. it. <laughs> and you're going to tell me that Michael Conforto is going to be a below league average player, and Jay Bruce for the rest of the year is going to be a below league average player, and uh, you know, at a catching position, which eventually Plowicki will come back, and if it continues, I think they'll upgrade. Is going to be essentially uh, offensive production of a pitcher. That's what you're getting right now. There, if you're going to tell me that, then yeah, they're probably going to continue to be the more of the eight and eighteen team that you've seen, not the eleven and one team. But um, I have to think that things are going to stabilize. I think things are going to turn, just like we talked about with Didi Gregorius, kind of coming down to earth a little bit, other Yankees coming back up. That's what's going to happen here, and uh, hopefully when that happens, the Mets could turn it around and be more in between, not the extreme team that you've seen in the the two halves, so to speak, of the season. The only good thing I can say about this is that if you look at the standings and you've seen and you know the state of the Mets right now, 19 and 18, they're only four four games back. And today's – and this is where it goes back to what I said about the American League where – in today's game with two wild cards, I used to say you could mess around for 50 games. You know, you don't want to get like Cincinnati Reds 18, 19 games under. You don't want to, you know, the Dodgers are getting to that dangerous territory where there's six, seven games under. You don't want to play that fast and loose, but you want to hang around 500, game up, game under. You could even do this up until about 80, 81 games. Because, again, the, the deadline, things could change. That's why I've always been a proponent where I think the trade deadline needs to be pushed into August because you really don't know. The Minnesota Twins did not Twins. think last year they were a no. contender. They were offloading. And then they're like, hold on a minute, a week later, let me go and, and, and buy maybe. That turnaround that they that had turnaround, was phenomenal. That was late July. And then they're playing the Yankees in a wild card game. They're leading in the wild card game. And then we know what happened. But... Nobody would have said on July whatever that the Minnesota Twins would have been leading the Yankees in a play-in game at Yankee Stadium. So, look, there are things to be worried about. The offense certainly being a little bit feast or famish is certainly a concern. The fact that you really can't get through five innings on any given day from the rotation, huge concern. Bullpen is going to be overworked, and eventually that's going to fall apart. But all things considered, all things put together, it hasn't been a perfect situation for Mickey Calloway. That's why when I see fans on Twitter mocking him, yeah, the lineup thing, I get it. And then the thing today about not bringing in the lefties, uh, yep. which wasn't as a clear-cut decision because um, he needed, like he said, to get through that inning because you only got one inning out of the starter. And and Williams was, was hitting below a 600 OPS against lefties before that. Mm-hmm. And Seawald... Had a pretty good – now, last year, history says he's not as good against lefties as righties, but Seawold had looked good on the prior uh, – But Blevins uh, hasn't been a shortcut thing. And he hasn't well. been a shortcut thing. So you could debate that. You could debate that certainly a little bit. We also have a Rich Catino who's joining us from the city of brotherly love. Rich Catino, one of the main fixtures here at New York Sports Rap. Might as well bring him in as we're bantering with this but, Mets yeah. And by the way, Cesar Hernandez kills lefty, so he was the guy up next. So if they had kept Levins in and he didn't get Williams out, you'd have to bring in another pitcher. And I think that's that's where you dissect the move deeper than 
what you're going to hear a lot of fans call talk radio about, which is what an idiot, lefty, lefty. Believe me, I saw seven years of Terry Collins. I've seen enough bad bullpen management (laughs) that I could watch a a long movie on. Uh, Today is not uh, an example of that, in my opinion, at least. Hindsight is 20-20. Hey, Rich, what's up, man? How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good. You joined us, obviously, mid-conversation, talking about what took place later in the game with Blevin. So let's just hit the ground running. What are your thoughts? I think I probably would have brought Blevins in. Um, the reason I say that is, you know, Nick Williams is one of the, He's been pinch hitting and hitting very, very well. He's, he's now 7 for 15 as a pinch hitter. And I just wanted him to see a different eye look in terms of Blevins' curveball and fastball. And my other thing is, and I know it was still fairly early in the game, it wasn't the eighth or ninth inning. If you're not going to bring Blevins in at that point in time, as you're, you know, there's two lefties and they were Bauman now in the bullpen, but Blevins is your main lefty. If you're not bringing him in right now, then why is he on the team? And he's there to get left-handed hitters out. He hasn't been great at it this year, but he's not going to improve that by not bringing him to these situations. This was a situation made for Jerry Blevins, I think, for the most part. Mickey Calloway's done a phenomenal job with the bullpen, but I think today was a misstep. I would have brought Blevins in. Can you throw all of the onus from the game on that one decision? Because there are a lot of other holes in the game that have taken place, but in hindsight being 2020, I feel that with the game taking place, the headline has been reading that this bullpen disaster or this decision that took place, this is the reason why they lost the game, which in my humble opinion I think is wrong. No, I, I think, you know, a baseball game has a lot of cuts to it. I think the Mets had a couple of situations offensively where they had first and second nobody out after Cespedes hit the home run, and they didn't score an additional run. Um, I think that there were times where they could have, you know, not hit as many double plays as they did, um, got the starting pitchers hit uh, pitch count up, and gotten into the teeth of the Philly bullpen rather than the end of the Philly bullpen. Look, I think that, there's a lot of things you can talk about. Um, now, DeGrom leaving after one inning, it's understandable. Uh, just coming off the disabled list, he threw a 45-pitch inning. He made some good pitches in that inning to get out of the inning. Um, but I, I agree with it. You know, it, it's cooler heads prevailing. And one of the things I like about the Mets this year, as opposed to last year, is you can argue with decisions to put guys on the disabled list or not. But clearly now, the Mets senior management are the adults in the room and the players are the children. And you could disagree with moves of putting DeGrom on the disabled list or Todd Frazier on the disabled list, but it's clear to me from being around the team that the inmates don't run the asylum anymore and they refuse to take MRIs or, you know, demand to be put in a game when they're, they're, they're hurt. Now, that being said, the Mets have to keep a careful eye on Jonas Cespedes. Watching him today, it wasn't only the fly ball outs where he had to go back where he saw he ran a first and was safe on a on an errant throw, although I think they ruled it a hit. Um, and you could see that landing on that quad is hurting him. Um, I understand why he's playing. You know, Frazier's on the disabled list and Bruce is on paternity leave. Bruce comes back on Tuesday from paternity leave. Frazier should be back in a week or so. And I think you have to think about, you know, handling him in a much more conservative fashion because – and he hit a home run today on a bad quad, which shows you what a great hitter he is. But I think you have to be careful with it because you don't want to have what happened last year where 
a strain became a bigger injury, and then he was out for a couple of months. So I think they will be careful with him now uh, based on what they did with DeGrom and Frazier, uh, but it's definitely starting something to watch, Justin. Here's a discussion that I'm not sure how much traction it's gaining, but obviously we know what took place with DeGrom, a hyperextended elbow because he was batting. Do you think it's time that there's a universal DH in MLB baseball? I know it goes back to the 70s, and most of the times even when it goes to high school, the best player on the team and best athlete is a pitcher, and a lot of pitchers in baseball, as we know, they can tattoo the ball, and whether it be over the fence, and they are perfectly fine, skippers leaving them in the lineup. But because this injury took place, and we have seen other instances, whether they be rare, do you think it's time that there should be a change or an option that if you can leave the pitcher in? No, you're never going to get me to believe the DH is a good thing. Okay, if um, you're not, if I can't get you to believe, do you think at least that baseball is going to change? Not sure. I understand that baseball is archaic sport and you have some people to believe what they're going to believe and it should never change, but do you think that their change will come would be the better way I would phrase the question? Well, I don't think it's imminent. I think it's something they'll discuss, but injuries happen, you know. But, you know, the players are going to get injured. And I, I, it's like what the NFL's done with, you know, not having anyone play, not having quarterbacks play in a lot of preseason games. Well, if they play in one, they could still get hurt. So my feeling is that, you know, that's where, you know, therapeutic and preventive, you know, rehab helps. And, no, I, I, I think that there are a lot of baseball fans out there that would crow about the DH coming. I, I know that, you know, and I'm a little – you know, subjective on this, but when I think I think National League fans watching baseball are learning more about the game than American League fans watching baseball because there's so much in it with the pitcher sacrificing. There's in it with you have to take pitchers out and do double switches. I actually think that managers in the National League should be paid more than managers in the American League because they have more on their plate that they have to do, but it makes the game interesting. It makes it strategy. I know it's not great in the 180-character Twitter world, but... I do think that, you know, the National League is going to fight not going to the the DH. And, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but certainly I think it will be discussed. And Rob Manfred's done some crazy stuff already as commissioner, so who knows. Rich, on the Cespedes thing, one last thing. is I know they need his bat in the lineup. And, and look, anybody who, and you talked about this in spring training, I think I might have been in that day when you talked about this, that thinks Joanna Cespedes isn't a gamer. I mean, just watch him out there. But put him on the DL for 10 days. Is it going to get the quad any better? I know what they're saying. And I do trust this coaching staff and this management, like you said earlier, that they're probably talking to the trainers. They're looking at medical data. He can't get it any worse. But he does look gimpy out there. And my biggest concern is is that they're playing a little roulette here, and he's going to pull up lame, and with a quad, he could be out six weeks. And they really can't afford him to be out six weeks. So is it better to be out 10 days, have Bruce come back? You know, they have a couple of days off next week, so you're not losing as many games. Bruce slides in for him, uh, or, you know, risk a much longer injury. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Because it seems like they're playing a little uh, little uh, lottery here with this, and hopefully the, and a bad lottery at that. I would prefer when Bruce comes back to put him on the 10-day DL. I know this week he's not obviously not playing tomorrow. The Mets are all off. Tuesday they have a night game. 
I'm pretty sure they're going to rest him Wednesday, so we give him two days off, the Wednesday day game. Sit him against Toronto, and, and then if he doesn't feel better by the end of Thursday, then DL him, because then maybe that's the best thing, Rich, just don't play him. I know you'll be short a guy, but don't play him throughout the Toronto series. See if that works, because then you can well, backdate the DL. Yeah. That's what I would do. And I do like what I saw, I've seen from Michael Conforto in the last few days. Um even the outs he's making seem to be good outs. His swing seems to be much more fluid. So I think, you know, if you put Cespedes on the disabled list, it's a chance to finally give Juan Lagares some playing time, which he certainly deserves from how he's played. You have an outfield there of Bruce, you know, Nimmo, Lagares, Conforto. You have those four, and now maybe you, you, it's more of a platoon with Lagares and Nimmo in center field. I just think that, you know, I agree with you. I, I don't want to risk not having him when the games are really important in August and September. And we saw what he did. If you remember, when the Mets made the wild card, he got hurt probably around the all-star break and came back in mid-August and then went on a tear that those last two weeks of August and the first week of September. And it really put the Mets in a position where they could battle for the wild card. He had a big walk-off homer in September late in the year against the Marlins and another big hit in the game against the Twins. So he definitely is a gamer. And, and, and let me just say this about Ioannis Cespedes. I would have him on my team every day and ten, day, ten times on Sunday because he is a gamer. And... The nonsense that we heard from the media that, you know, he fools around in the outfield in spring training, let's, let's just park that at the door. Because Ioannis Cespedes is one of the top ten hit, RBI hitters in this sport. And he may even be higher than that. He may be in the top five. Um, and I think you have to be careful with the mic. But I respect his ability to play the game. Do I communicate with him a lot? Only through a translator. But you know what? I'm unlike many of the members of the media. I don't evaluate people on who talks to me. I evaluate people on what I see. And Yolanda Cespedes, pound for pound, is as good as any baseball player in New York right now. I'm not saying he's better than Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton hitting home runs, but I am saying that as a five-tool player in this town, with his arm, with his the way he runs the bases, the way he hits, that's about as close to a five-tool player as you got. And I'm really tired of the media disrespecting him. It really is embarrassing to be around them when they do it. Rich, with everything that's taken place this week, the low point with the Mets' bats, in addition to the embarrassing trending moment that it seems like people are still talking about, the mistake that took place with the batting out of order, and we understand why it took place. When you look at the standings, the Mets are only four games out, and Mike and I were both mentioning this, and then you have with DeGrom and then Syndergaard as well. Don't you think that's at least something positive moving forward? It seems like this has been a week that has been oh so long. It's been an avalanche because of how many games that haven't really been played, and they keep talking about the batting out of order. That has to be something positive that the team can move forward. How we've played and looking at the standing and say, guys, it's only one-third of the season, and we're only four games out. Like, come on now. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing you have to look at in this division is most teams in this division have played the Marlins far more times than the Mets have. The Mets played them three times and won all three games in Miami early in the season. But most of the people in the division, I, I think the Braves have played three series with them already. The Phillies have played two or three. So, the Mets have their have their time with the underbelly Marlins more than the other teams will. These things even out by the end of the season, and really the timing of when you play a team. 
But I look at the Mets right now, and I say to myself, not only are they four games back, but you know, when you look at that important loss column, they're like one behind in the loss column with the Nationals, and I think they're two or three, maybe three with the Braves, and maybe two or three with the Phillies. I mean, that is that's that's within fingers' length, not even arms' length. And one thing about this Met team that I've said all season, and I'll go with saying this, is when you look at what the teams are in this division, certainly the Nationals have those that, that top two with Scherzer and Strasburg, but the Mets have an equal one with DeGrom and Syndergaard, and the Mets have a closer in Familia, and you know what? When you have those things and you have a few bats in the order, you'll have your opportunity. And I think Mike said it best when, you know, do we remember who was the leading team in divisions in April and May? We've just seen how the Yankees erased a Red Sox lead, but the Red Sox have hung tough and stayed tied in the division. So there's been ups and downs. And you say it's a down week, and I'll just say this about the lineup card thing. Do you realize that the 1934 Ruth and Garrick Yankees did the lineup thing? And I'll make that even worse. That's when they had a number on your back of your uniform that dictated when you batted in the lineup. When Root batted three, he batted third. It was down in the lineup. The team facing them didn't realize it, and the Yankees won the game anyway. But my point is that even to the great Yankees, this has happened. It's happened to good teams. It's happened to not-so-good teams. It happened in 2016 to Milwaukee. It's just about you knowing that if when it rains, it pours, and that's what it is. If the Mets were or the Mets didn't lose nine out of the last 11, no one would really care about it. It'd be like, oh, but the fact that they lost, and they lost in 10 innings, and it was a walk-off. So that's what just made matters worse. You know how it is, Rich. You know exactly. Yeah, I know, I know exactly how it is, but I'll say this about this Mets team. They had that rough three games in Cincinnati where they lost two out of three in the lineup faux pas. They had a day off. Six and then they came in and gave us yep. a dramatic ninth-inning win, an absolutely dramatic win where they were doing nothing for the game. Conforto hits a two-run shot after just missing a home run down the line, and then Mezzarocco hits a home run. And that showed me a lot, that they didn't just say, oh, it's one of those nights again. No. They went up there with solid bats in the ninth inning. This team has a lot of character in it, and I think that um, what happens is we sometimes listen too much to Twitter, and I think what ends up happening is we don't realize the character in this Met clubhouse. And I can tell you, I've been around it since spring training. The character is in this clubhouse big time. And I still think they're going to win the National League East. I said it in spring training. And I'm going to keep saying it because I do think balance-wise, when everything's healthy, remember, this bullpen, Mike, as you aptly mentioned, has done pretty good without Swarzak, who's supposed to be one of the guys that would fill the bullpen. And make. And overworked. And maybe, yeah, and maybe when he comes back, maybe that's when you lengthen a Gazelman or a Luger to the rotation if one of the other guys isn't performing. So all these things have time to ferment. The Mets will be fine. Uh, they're going to win the NL East. I said it in March, and I'll keep saying it until uh, I get hoarse in the throat. But the Mets will win the NL East, and the Mets will be in the playoffs. And I think that Mets fans are going to be very happy with the way things go between now and the end of the regular season. Rich, you mentioned you know Twitter kind of being the judge and jury of everything and sports talk radio, which is what we're doing here. But Mickey Calloway you know, has had a pretty extreme introduction to New York. Uh, he had a great press conference, you know, pretty much a spring training where everybody left him alone, and then he goes 11-1, and there's articles by non-baseball people about the Calloway culture. And, and now all of a sudden it's the pendulum swung a little bit. 
I, I laugh because you have fans. I mean, there was actually a fan who said today that they need to fire Callaway and bring in Joe Girardi. I mean, that's what I read on Twitter before I got on the air today. The honeymoon phase. The is honeymoon clearly. phase is cl- clearly over. Here's the thing. When you really look at him, and I, I cannot, even when Terry Collins, who I never wanted to, to be the manager, from day one, I didn't like Terry Collins becoming the Mets manager. But I still gave him a couple of years to really say, okay, what do you have here? Uh, Callaway has had a starting rotation in chaos. Uh, he's had to overwork his bullpen. He's had both Bruce and Conforto get off to below-league average starts. Conforto to an awful start. The catching position has been in flux. Um, he's had injuries. You know, he's got Frazier out, Cespedes now. Uh, you know, it's been a very – even when it was 11-1, and it wasn't perfect. So to me, at 19-18, and through six, seven weeks, take the lineup nonsense out of the equation because that you know, happened to Bruce Boche, who might be a Hall of Fame manager. Um, I can't evaluate him too extreme on either side of the ledger, but so far I think a lesser manager or a lesser group of guys, this could become – 2017 pretty quick, and it's not. I mean, they could be like the Dodgers, six, seven games under 500. No one's really bothering them. It's, well, the Mets are this. Well, the Mets are over 500. The Dodgers are under and in danger right. of, of, of falling pretty far behind. Now, it's not all because of Callaway. you got to give the players credit. But I think he's keeping things together. But I think the Vultures are starting to circle, and I think the media is ready to do their their shtick on him, if, if I had to take a guess. I, I, I would agree with you on that. And, you know, I love coming to Philadelphia because unlike at City Field, you know, we get to talk to him in the interview room and then he leaves. But we go in his office and I had a chance before the game today to kind of come back and say, hey, Mickey, you got a second? You can't do that at City Field because the offices are so far hidden from the clubhouse. But I had a chance to sit down and talk with him. And me and him have a lot in common. We both believe in reading self-help books and talking about how you can become better at what you do and the, the, the hedgehog concept with figuring out what you're going to do with your career. We talked about a lot of stuff, and I, we ha- I've talked to him more in the last two weeks than I talked to him even in spring training. And this guy's a strong-willed temperament. He has it. It's not going to bother him. He had a question today, and he laughed about it. I don't remember. It was about the Blevins thing, and, you know, they said to him, oh, oh they said to him, are you going to spend a sleepless night tonight worrying about your decision? And he said, and it was it was right out of a self help book that I had read that he had told me about, where it said, you can't, you always think about decisions you might have made differently, but if you're going to constantly question your decisions and worry about it, you're not going to enjoy life. And he said that in the post game today, and I think he's got the right temperament for it. I think that the thing about Mickey Callaway that I like more than anything is he's not there for a popularity contest. Okay. He's never been uncordial with the media. He's never been biting. He's always held his composure. I like that fact that he he's done that. And I think even when he was eleven and one, they would come in and ask him, "Well, uh, does this mean you're going to go eleven and one every twelve games for the season?" And you know, I think you and I both know, Mike. We've discussed it on the show. The media treats the Yankees better in this town than the Mets. And the reason is the media doesn't like the Wilpons. And it really is no other reason than that. No, because I, I wouldn't say that, Rich. I it really say, is. I you, have I to hear, you have to hear what these reporters say about the Wilpons. I, understand, I hear it I understand my own it, ears. But you, 
I think that's kind of shrewd to say that it's no reason else than that that they treat him. When you win championships, you have more leverage. Yes, over the past decade, you would say, or even the past five years, the Mets have had better success than the Yankees. But overall, when you win championships, you have more leverage, and that's the reason why. That's what it comes down to. Well, I can't well, but, I understand but this is that. my the, point, though. You don't hear the media giving the Mets credit for winning the pennant. You hear them say they won the pennant despite this, despite that, despite this. They sh- This is what I heard from the media when the Mets lost the World Series. I heard, well, the Mets got exposed. I didn't hear that when the Yankees lost the championship series last year. And clearly the Yankees were exposed in game six and seven. Yeah, okay? uh, yeah but they also and, and, and played you don't with hear house it. money. You don't hear it about the Yankees. You heard what a great season they had and because how they were this young with house team money. performed at a top level. I, I understand overall what you're talking about, Rich, but I don't think juxtaposing last year because last year when you're playing with house money, regardless if it's the Mets, Yankees, or any other team, it's, for example, the Boston Celtics. The Boston Celtics, yes, they did win game one, but if the Cavaliers end up winning the next four games, they're not going to say that the Celtics got exposed. And for those people that do say that, it's more going to be that they were playing with house money, having their two best players. In regards to now baseball, the Yankees, the Yankees were playing with house money. No one expected them to be there. Where you have low expectations and you get to a pinnacle, then people are able to say, wow, this person or this team has expedited their process. And that's what it was with the Yankees. Back to the core of the conversation and banter is in regards to people giving more leniency to the Yankees rather than the Mets. I do agree with you, but I don't think that the sole reason is because of the Wilpons. Whether you like the Wilpon family or the Steinbrenner family, it has to do with winning championships. And I think that is the reason why with any team is going to have a lot more leniency when you're able to win or build more success of a culture because you've had. So so what you're saying is the Yankees have built a ton of championships this decade that we're in. No, I didn't say that. I I just agreed. I told you before. I said that this past decade, the Mets have had more success than the Yankees, but you can't just go with the decades because we know that a person hasn't been born for just 10 years. Mets fans have lived in infamy. It's always been the underdog story. So they know that this short term of success, whether you reach the pennant or sorry, whether you win the pennant or not, they're going to like, are we going to get there back again? It's always trying to move forward. They're not going to be a prisoner of the moment because they feel that their honeymoon phase is right now, that they're not going to be able to. This is the one person. This is the one time that we have to actually be great. And now it felt like it was yesterday that they won the pennant and that they were in the World Series and they lost to the Royals. And now here we are with a new manager. This is the thing is that Mets fans know that when you reach a certain level of success they feel that they're going to take a nosedive there isn't any type of stability or confidence that the organization is going to move forward that is why the Yankees have more leniency and it's easier to just bash on a I can't call them a little brother but it's easier to bash on someone when you've seen this movie before and you've seen it before you know the Mets better than anyone not to say that they are a horrible team, but that's the problem when you have a Titan in New York City. It's similar to the Jets being compared to the Giants. There's always going to be someone that you're compared to. That's when you have so many different New York teams that one has done so many amazing things and the other team has done pretty well. And if they were by themselves and they were the only New York team, the Mets would be a fine team, but they just so happen to have one of the best 
organizations ever in their own city? Well, I, I, I respectfully disagree because I think when the Yankees are covered, they're covered in a much different way in this town than the Mets are. Much different way. But it goes back okay. to history, Rich. This is what I'm saying, is that you have a basic foundation. When something has been established and you go years and years, it's a carryover. That is why the team moves in the way that they do. And, and Rich, you know... The, 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 those reporters can't tell me they're objective reporters then, simply put. Rich, and, and you know, the, I'll leave you with this. Uh, this Mets poor play... I think, and you said this last week. I think the fact that the Yankees are like seventeen and three, or something along right. those lines, you know, eighteen and three, it makes it even worse. And 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 I think, look, that's just the reality. And ultimately, if the Mets don't like it, you know, here's how you fix it: you win. And uh, right. you know, if the character in the clubhouse is what you say it is, and I believe, uh, I believe it is, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to. And a lot of people are going to hold last year against this group. And I know there's a number of players that were here, so you have to do that. But I'm not. I'm going to treat this like a different group. Uh, I'm not going to give them the platitudes of 2015 because they didn't. not all of them got to the World Series. I'm also not going to burn them for last year. I'm willing to give it time. I'm willing to give this 50, 60 games uh, before you really could sit back and say, okay, this is where they're at. Because the way baseball is now, and I said this, you have two wild cards. That's not where you want to be. You don't want to be in the muck. But if you right. are in the muck for a reason, and the Mets, there are reasons they're in the muck, you're not buried. It's very hard to right. bury anyone. And I heard Bill Simmons say this the other day. He said, you know, I can't get crazy about my baseball team in May, with the exception of a few outliers. And the Mets are not in that outlier. That's, that's how I would leave it at that. That's my, my synopsis right now. Yeah, that may, I, I, that I may think, seem yeah. overly optimistic, but it's reality. I would say that if it were the Yankees as well. I think you have to, and as far as the Yankees are concerned, they've been red hot. And let's give the Red Sox a little credit here. As red-hot as the Yankees are, they briefly were in first place alone, but the Red Sox have been as hot. They have the same record. They have the same report card as the Yankees. When they played each other, they've split six games. Red Sox won two out of three in Fenway. Yankees won two out of three here. So, to me, they're dead even teams. And the interesting thing is, if they stay that way between now and the end of the year, one of those teams might end up having 100 wins and have to play in a wild card game. That would just be unbelievable to see if it happens. Yeah, and that's just the nature of the beast with the way the playoff system is set up. And I think one final note in regards to the Mets and the Yankees, even when it goes to the Jets and Giants, the Islanders and the Rangers, we even where you could just use LeBron in the Michael Jordan conversation, we get so fixated on when a team does something or an individual that we're quick to compare. For the Mets organization, they should never want to try to be the Yankees. You're not going to be the Yankees. Simple as that. They should just worry about being themselves and putting out the best product and honing in with their fans and putting out good baseball and putting out a product there so the team and the fans can get excited and rejuvenated. Did that with Mickey Calloway with the change of culture. You still have tons of great arms. You have UN Cespedes. You brought over Jay Bruce. And you have Michael Conforto who came up from uh, the farm system. And you're hopefully trying to bring in more players like that, like Dominic Smith. So that is what the Mets should focus on rather than trying to overtake the Yankee shadow because that is a large-ass shadow to take care of and try to well, go over. I can be clear with you that the organization is not there 
to trump the Yankees moves. I, I, I understand that. Then, if they they aren't, then Mets Mets fans and just the Mets allure overall should stop mentioning the Yankees' names unless it's a Subway Series. I understand it goes to the comparing, contrasting because you're in this city, but that's what you have to do. It becomes easier. It's an escape. It's a scapegoat. Be like, well, the Yankees get this, and we don't like forget them. They're not even in your same league. But the Mets aren't talking about this. I'm telling you what I observe in the media. And that it's simply put. And I'm not the only person in the media that feels this way. There are people that cover both teams that have definitely, and I don't cover the Yankees as much as I do the Mets, but there are people that cover both teams that have mentioned it to me. And I, I, when one person mentions it to you, yeah, you could say it's not when two, three, when four or five people mention it to you, then you got to think there's something to it. And I think that, you know, the Yankees have done a great job rebuilding the team in a short time. You know, Brian Cashman deserves bouquets. He may have gotten the wrong pitcher in Sonny Gray as opposed to Justin Verlander, but that's another story for another day. And we won't know the fruition of that until once again the Yankees try to get to the World Series when they make the playoffs this year, and we'll see if they can do that with the Sonny Grays of the world. My whole point on this was not even so much the two organizations. I think as organizations they get along pretty well. I know Sandy has talked to the Yankees about trades. Cashman has talked to the Mets about trades. It's not about that. It's how the media covers it. And I think some of it is that the media is somewhat intimidated by the Yankees. And that forces them to report in a certain way. As always, Rich, much appreciated. Looking forward to getting you back in studio. Safe travels from the city of brotherly love. That is Mr. Rich Catino, the Mets writer, as well as on-air person for ESPN. We'll be right back, and we'll be discussing the Celtics who rampaged the Cleveland Cavaliers in Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Finals. You're listening to New York Sports Wrap. Take WLIE 540 AM with you anywhere in the world with our free iPhone and Android apps. Listen to your favorite shows, find out news that's important to you, or just check the local weather, all from our free app. Find us in the App Store on your iPhone or Android or at WLIE540AM.com. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Want to get your business, product, or service on the radio? Use our 10,000-watt signal to get your message to the entire tri-state area. Find out how to connect instantly at WLIE540AM.com. This is Higher Ground with Pastor Gary Grant and First Lady Grant inviting you to tune in with us on WLIE 540 AM and online at WLIE540AM.com every Saturday from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. as we expound the gospel of grace. We're also here to pray for you. Remember, God is still blessing in this season. The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was... Living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. 
That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Council. And we're back. New York sports rap, Justin Walters and Mike Silva. Quite an interesting conversation, Mike, that we just have Richard Coutinho. Yeah, you got Rich all riled up now. You know? And I love, listen, Rich uh, is a great guy. He wrote a great book about the media. There is a Yankee bias in the media. I will agree with him on that for a variety of reasons. Wupons are one of them. But, I mean, Rich gets blistered. Rich is a very positive guy. And, you know, in this age of media, you have to be because there's so much negativity out there. Uh, but he even gets blistered sometimes by Mets fans. And look, people are getting on my case because I'm not angry. Listen, if you're going to treat baseball like the NFL, the week to week, every every day, you'll be burnt out by exactly. like it's, it's a marathon, by, not by a tax day. Like if you're going to get burnt out in baseball by tax day, you have you know there's, there's about a quarter of the season has gone by. You still got 75 percent of the season. You're gonna got the, not going to get that much on a refund. Think about it. You you're that. like week four of the NFL right now. Look oh my how much gosh! Ba- look how much baseball we've watched, and we're week four of the NFL. That's what's really going on. But uh, yeah. speaking of uh, blistered here, the the Celtics blistered LeBron James and the Cavs today. Bringing up memories of the Lakers-Celtics, the Memorial Day massacre. Was that 1985 or 86? I think that was 85. The 1980s. 85. (laughs) I think that was 85 that that happened when basically the Lakers went into the Boston Garden and just got run off the court. They wound up coming back and winning that series, Series. I believe. So, uh, you know. And once again, it's just one game. And we'd love to hear your take on what took place with the Cavaliers and the Celtics, or even if you want to chime back in with the baseball talk. The number is 631-955-5400. That is the number to call in. Not a good performance at all. LeBron James held to 15 points, shot 5 of 16. And we knew that it's going to be LeBron James plus the others, (laughs) whoever is going to actually show up. Kevin Love had 17 points is decent. They have the best player in this series, but the Celtics have the better team and the better coach. What's interesting is, and it's funny because last week when I had Tommy Dion, we were talking a little about, we talked mainly about the Knicks, which I'm sure we'll get to, but we talked about briefly one question we had time for at the NBA. Both he and I were like, okay, it's probably going to be Cavs Warriors again and and Mm -hmm. prepare for that. But the Celtics, to me, Brad Stevens, how and he didn't get a single vote for Coach of the Year, which is amazing to me. Here's this guy, very... Doc Rivers even got a vote. Very... I think Doc voted for himself. There's no emotion to this guy. Like, you're out there, there's zero emotion, very balanced, exactly what I'm talking about. The antithesis of what you want as a fan, because fans like Lou Pinella going out kicking dirt or Billy mm-hmm. Martin. I want to see my a manager have... like Dick Vitale Listen, the, <laughs> back the, when the, he was coaching. The fans have to get it through their head, and, and I'm going to say this for a, a billion times. They're not... The coaches and managers in this town, they don't put on performances for you to make you know what's going on. They do it their way, and if it works, it works, and if it doesn't, they get fired. Everybody has a shelf life. But you could see the Celtics, they lose their top two players this year. Mm -hmm. They lose 25 points per game in in, uh, Kyrie Irving. And Gordon Hayward, who scored two points this year, the whole year, uh, because he went down, what, two minutes minutes into the season, uh, probably would have averaged 18 to 20 points. So they've lost uh, about 45 points per game. 
and they won 55 games. They have home court advantage in this series. They're three wins away from the finals. To me, that is an outstanding coaching job. Yeah, now they had a lot more talent than maybe everybody thought. Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown. Jalen you know, Brown has uh, improved immensely Rogier, from three. Rogier, you know, Rogier, yeah. It's we about didn't being think we timing didn't think. and talent taking advantage because Rogier right. used to play in the G League. And now there could be a conversation development, that right. Danny Ainge could trade Rogier because where is he going to actually fit into this? You Because you can't tell me after watching Rogier in this postseason that he's not a starting point guard. Right. But look at how a coach has kept these guys ready. Look at the player development. All the little things that we don't talk about are on display here for the Celtics. With LeBron, they flipped the team over, brought in guys like Larry Nance Jr., Hood. But it's almost like, yeah, I'll, I'll get to you when they, I need you. They flipped you. it over twice. Yeah, they flipped the it over, and it's like, he, if he doesn't perform, they're not going anywhere. And the Raptors were a bad example because the Raptors, as soon as they got hit, they crumbled, which is why Dwayne Casey lost his job. Indiana should have beaten them. Yes. And they got some bad calls and some bad luck, and then, look, you can't, Expect to win a game seven in, in the NBA. And in the fairness, road. there were two different Cavalier teams that played with the Pacers as well as the Raptors. The Cavaliers in the first series against the Pacers is how they played in game one against the Celtics. The role players, Casper the Friendly Ghost. There's the no, second, nothing, nothing. Nothing. You, you look got at the bench. Out of these guys. You look at the bench. Jeff Green, six points. Tristan Thompson, he actually played 21 right. minutes. He got eight points. It's not that much production at all. Against the the second series against the Raptors, I believe there was a stat that J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver from three shot twenty four of thirty six. That's insane. That's yeah. insane. You're yeah. not going to be. You're not going to beat a team when they shoot that well from exactly. Three. Especially now that could go two. by how the Raptors play D and and you know again goes back to that. But um, you really, I mean, this is an example. And you know, talking about Knicks fans, Knicks fans have to look at the Celtics and look at how they have built and developed, and they have a deep roster here. I mean, they're getting contributions from Shane Larkin. He's hurt right now. You know who the longest-tenured Celtic is? Take a Ooh, guess. Ooh, that's a tough one. Is it Look up and down Marcus the... Smart? Bang. There, I had to look. I looked at that quick. Yeah, you looked at it quick. You got it, it good. That was I got good. It good. I was looking at that. I was like, ah, Marcus Smart. And the other guess would have been Horford, Horford, who's only been here yeah. a short time, but Marcus Smart's been here a while. On and give credit also to Horford, who seems – Sometimes lost in the shuffle, and I'm glad he's getting his opportunity to shine because he had a lot of years of futility, not with his production, but just unfortunately the team that he was on playing with the Atlanta Hawks. And now he's being able to play for a a playoff caliber team that can actually make it further in the postseason because we know when it comes to Atlanta sports, if you don't, just look place it what took two years ago at the Super Bowl. That's Atlanta sports for you. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's true. Atlanta but, I mean, they came out with a purpose. They sent they a did. message today. This was not about – because they lost last year the first two games at home. Mm-hmm. They wanted to send LeBron a message. Hey, you gonna if you're going to win this series, yeah, our two best players are in street clothes, and you can look at Kyrie Irving all you want. He's in street clothes. We're still a team to be reckoned with. They're not just happy with being here. Right. That, that's been the case. I said when they got to the second round – uh, successful season. I was talking to someone like, oh, it was a successful season. I thought Philadelphia was going to beat them. I really thought, because I was impressed with Philly all throughout the year with Ben Simmons, with mm-hmm. Joel Embiid. I liked how they had the shooters, um, uh, you know, on that team. And they show their immaturity as a mainly a young team and how they went out. And Ben Simmons may not be uh, ready for the big time because he yeah. still hasn't learned how to shoot. And Joel Embiid maybe needs to cut the trash talk a little bit and <laughs> take a step back. You know, you want to run your mouth. Yeah. 
Just you got to run your mouth, but taste, you got to produce. Taste the you humble pie. Um, and now they're in the finals, and I said, okay, gravy, right? In the conference finals. And then I heard guys, and look, he's biased, Brian Scalabrini, talk about picking the Celtics. Of and course. I think ESPN, out of the 21 quote-unquote experts, 18 picked the Cavs, but... I mean, isn't that LeBron you over there at ESPN? But I said to myself, okay, I'm in that camp. They're, you know, this guy just blitzed the Raptors. The Celtics had no answer for him last year. They're missing two of their, their best players. No, yeah, they're losing five. And then they go out and they blitz. And then I said that at the end of that first quarter. Now, these guys are for real. Now, does that mean they're going to sweep them? No. Does that mean this is not going to be a long series? No. I think the, the Cavs are the kind of team that, similar to the Jordan Bulls at the end of their run, they're going to be more fallible, but they're still going to be a tough to knock out. Like a vampire, you could throw that stake, you could throw that stake. You got to really get that stake in to finally put them down. And I was watching the game for the first half, and a lot of shots just really weren't going down. It's not excusable to lose by 25 the way they played, but they were four of 26 from three, and they were getting some decent looks. LeBron was getting double teamed. They have shown that they're not going to, at least in game one, that they're not going to allow him to get a full head of steam, and they're going to allow the others, the supporting cast, to step up and beat them. Right. And Kyle Corver was missing shots. J.R. Smith, the whole bunch was just missing. They're four 26 from three. And also, you don't see LeBron scoring under 20 points in a playoff game. That's he very would have rare scored over game. 20. He was taken out with about yeah. eight minutes left so yeah regardless but still even in losses you still see him filling up the stat sheet this is just one game I see them at least when I said the series was going to start that they would be able to win this being Cleveland in five games now looking at game one and honestly thinking realistically I should have probably put it six or seven games because the Celtics are a better team than the Pacers and the pace and the Celtics also have a better coach than the Pacers. I so. have to, and I'm, this might be crazy to say this because you're betting, you're saying this with LeBron James on the other side. They may be a better chance the Celtics to put up an upset in the finals if there is chance than the Cavaliers. Really? I don't know if the Cavs go in the finals. Like if this is what the Celtics are doing to you, what is Golden State going to do? Oh, we we already know, you know that the championship is coming out of the West, but for up and down play, which would be more favored against the Warriors or the Rockets. I believe the Cavaliers have a much better chance because they can run faster than the Celtics. The Celtics are going to slow it down. But when it comes to shooters and getting hot, and it's tough to say that the Cavaliers will actually get hot because feast or famine, as you were mentioning with the Mets, there's no gray area with the Cavaliers. They're either on or they're off. And today they were clearly way off. J.R. Smith kind of epitomizes all that. That's always the way he's been his entire career. There's sometimes you love him. And then he does something J.R. Smith could play like Kobe one and day, then and then the like, next right. day he's going to play like uh, old Antoine Walker. <laughs> yeah, you know, but Jordan Clarkson, nothing. Uh, and Rodney... Jordan Clarkson is the only other player besides LeBron on this team that can create his own shot. That's Rodney Hood, nothing. Yeah, I mean, these were guys brought in that all they had to do was be component players around. And, um, again, it's another... one game, but it's certainly a statement. They've gotten LeBron's attention. Um, he certainly is going to come out. I'm sure they'll LeBron, come out. LeBron said that he has no concern. He said, I didn't go to college. This isn't March Madness. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's – but see, that's – it goes aggressive. back to what we talked about earlier about the fan reaction. The, and maybe that's what makes them fans, and that's why this exists and why we're able to do this. But you get to a point where not everything is running around with your hair on fire. You know, losing a game one, especially when you're Cavs, you won a championship. LeBron's been to six or seven finals in a row. He's not going to panic 
over this, blowout. We love one. to be a prisoner of the moment. It's about right. the now. We analyze right. the a now referendum and of we the now. try right. to move forward. We try to be as Miss Cleo as possible right. and look into the future and prognosticate on what is going to take place right. and do our best to be foreshadowing. So once again, LeBron is going to be perfectly fine. And I'm not going to – I don't bet against LeBron in the postseason. I didn't think that they were going to win the championship two years ago. It just so happened that they had the perfect storm because after the Draymond Green foolishness, in addition to uh, was it Zaza? when they were down when they were down three one, the Warriors really rubbing it in. Yeah, and that kind of woke a sleeping giant. Yeah, it woke up that. a sleeping giant, and right. it was tough. People forget LeBron and Kyrie when Draymond got suspended, they both went off for thirty plus. It was like thirty five each, both games. That's seventy points. It's hard to wake that or to put that back to sleep, and then you now got Game right. 7, regardless if it's in Golden State or not right. in the Bay Area. How are you going to stop that? You just woke these guys up. Now they believe that Especially they should they have be the here. best player in the league there. Do you see any scenario where Houston could beat Golden State? Yes. If James Harden plays out of his mind. Every single game, James that's Harden. Play. A lot. That's asking a lot. exactly because because James any Harden other team shrinks. they're playing, I would pick them. Even though I'm not a big D'Antoni guy, any other team because they just the shooting on that team. They, you yeah. could be up twenty. It's, and it's you could be up twenty against them, and they'll like that. They'll come. It's amazing to me the game has changed. I think early in the year the Knicks went up like twenty two on them in the first quarter. That got erased. And I know it's the Knicks, Knicks. and they weren't playing well, <laughs> but that's any team. Mm-hmm. Like the way they shoot threes at the the frequency. It just—it's amazing. It's um, a lot of isolation basketball. Yeah, that is why I have them losing in six. And then also, I just don't think James Harden is going to show up every single game. We've seen him shrink in moments like last year when he lost to the Spurs, going all the way back to when the Cavaliers are pardoned. He was a member of the Miami Heat, and he went cast with a friendly ghost with Durant and Westbrook on his team against OKC. I've seen moments where James Harden just doesn't come up to play. And I think that he needs to be on his A game every single game this series. He's going to have a good series, but the problem is is that their ball movement and what makes the Warriors basketball just look so beautiful and fun to watch is that it's effortless. Everyone is touching the ball. It is literally symmetry, beautiful chemistry, everyone being involved in movement, coming through the lane. And and any given day, it's Think about this. There was a report that came out that Klay Thompson could be leaving reportedly $50 million on the table to sign an extension. Wow. I think it's a fair argument to say Klay Thompson is the fourth best player on their team. Oh, yeah. And he, that he is might no, be that's the, no the, disrespect. That might be the fourth best, well, I wouldn't say the fourth best player in the league, but he, he's probably, that's they a, probably have the one, two, and three of the top ten in the league. Absolutely. On their team. And now Draymond Green, you guys could debate that as well. Um, yeah, he's a heartbeat for that team and how they – but Clay Thompson, to me, is the second-best two-way player behind Ka- Kawhi Leonard. And then right. maybe you throw Jimmy And Butler nobody's talking about Chris Paul. No. Nobody's talking about Chris Paul. Uh, it'd be hard for me Chris now, Paul's going to play well. I they'll think probably gonna... lose in six, the Rockets. Yeah. They'll probably be closer games – Hard for me to see Golden State losing. And I'm not a D'Antoni guy. Uh, I think he's revolutionized the offensive game. His teams never have mastered defense. I know he's sensitive about that. I was reading a story about, uh, about I think it was Mike Vorkanoff on the, at The Athletic, talking about D'Antoni's years in Phoenix. And he was very sensitive about, hey, if I score 102 and the other team scores 101, 
I, I had better defense than the other team. Well, you know, that's not the way I usually always look at it. But, um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how this pans out. Now, the, le- the other thing that happened in the NBA, at least more locally, is David Fisdale was named the coach of the Knicks. I talked a little bit about it last week. Look, hard for me to get excited anymore about press conferences because we've had so many of them at the Garden. 11 coaches in 17 years. We had Derek years. Fisher press conference, which everybody walked away positive. And a Phil Jackson one. And... You know, I wasn't a so big Jeff Hornacek. I was, I was a surprised at Jeff Hornacek getting hired. I was surprised at Derek Fisher getting fired. I thought they pulled the plug on that quick. Uh, I was a supportive of Phil Jackson, but looking back, it was kind of weird how they weren't. They were playing well when they brought Phil in and mixed it all up uh, with Mike Woodson over there. Um, they had gotten off to a bad start that year, and then they kind of came on late and just missed the playoffs. We've seen Isaiah Thomas at times uh, provide promise. So I can't get crazy. But, look, David Fisdale comes from the Pat Riley uh, school, which yep. to me is always a thumbs That's up. That's a check. Um, he had some issues with Mark Gasol, but it seems like he's got a lot of support from the big guys around the league, which tells you he knows how to build relationships. And in the NBA, you have to have a partnership with your stars. You have to hold them accountable, but you have to get them to buy into the program. He plans. That's on- what Pat Riley did. Pat Riley said, okay, this is your team, but here's my rules. Are you going to be part of this? And when he gets you to the point where you say, yes, I'm going to be part of this, then, yeah, you know, you have to partner with them, but you're almost keeping yourself accountable to your own rules because you came in and said, yeah, I want to be part of this. I'm not a Knicks fan, and I think I can look at this very objectively and saying I believe a lot of the things Fizdale was saying, terms like win the building, right. him coming from the Pat Riley coaching tree, they attacked him head on about the feud that took place with Marcus Saul, and he said he went there guns blazing. He felt that there was right. a time clicking and the time span for how much they were able to do, just small things and how he would be able to be a little bit more innovative. Right. And Marcus Saul and Zebo were able to shoot more threes the, for the first time much early in their career, like maybe 50 more attempts. I actually believe a lot of the things that he said. I'm not saying this is the right guy, but at least all signs would lead to saying that he's a step in the right direction because you got to understand mm, Przingis is going to play what? Maybe 40 games next year? Who knows? The jury's Some still say out. he might, might never play. play at all. Exactly. You're, it's going to be another futile season next year. It's just trying to take a step in the right direction. But we'll see what Fizdale's able to do. He's going to be traveling to Latvia. So, well, yeah. It'll be interesting. So, uh, hey, listen, good show. Appreciate you having me on as a guest host. Got a kick out of you and Rich, and uh, <laughs> looking forward to uh, to talking to you guys and maybe being a part of this in the uh, the weeks coming, man. Absolutely, that's New York Sports Wrap. Justin Walters, Mike Silva. Everyone, enjoy the rest of your Mother's Day.